Uh, then out of college, here's what we're going to do. Eric was teaching high school. Um, he was tenured, which means, you know, he had a good track to, to have a career in it, you know. Um, but we kept getting asked to play places, so we'd go a little bit further every year. Uh, and then you start finding yourself on the West Coast, and Eric found himself on the West Coast during finals week, uh, playing gigs. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, so, I, I felt a little guilty about that. Yeah. I, I remember... The intersection of good drinks, good music, and good times. This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. Welcome into another edition of the Bar Conversations podcast. It's another great one uh, this week. I think they're all great. What am I going to say? I'm a little biased here. Uh, we leave the world, though, of kind of the entertainers. We had comedian uh, Billy Wayne Davis last week. We kicked off 2023 with Bruce Buffer. Now we're back into what I would call our wheelhouse with our conversations as we talk with the Gibson Brothers, who have a brand new album coming out on January 27th called Darkest Hour. Um, and don't forget, though, to check out all of our things. Go to hopspirits.com to keep up with our Kentucky podcast, our happy hour Q&As where we talk with all sorts of interesting folks in the alcohol world, um, and then our neat and mixed reviews there as well. You can find all this on our social media, too, at hopspirits, all one word. But up next is our tasting notes with Eric Tennyson on healthy ingredients for cocktails because we're all trying to be a little better here in the new year. Enjoy. Did you know Hops and Spirits is more than just this podcast? Check out hopspirits.com for our latest episode release, past episodes, interviews with interesting folks in the alcohol industry, and so much more. Just go to hopspirits.com. Feel free to wait until this podcast is done. Joining us here for our tasting notes, and it's uh, since it's in January, we're going to be talking about some healthy options here. He's making his debut here on Tasting Notes. He's part of the first ever Hodling & Co. Cocktail Council, and he currently heads up the iconic San Francisco Whiskey Institution, Rye. Welcome in, Eric Tennyson. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. And and did I actually get everything correct? <laughs> yeah, everything awesome. everything's correct. Yeah. yeah. I, I figured I'd have the most trouble company, with Rye. Oh, sorry. But yeah, so uh, I'm part of the first uh, cocktail council for Hodling and Company. So there's a group of uh, five of us all around the country, and we kind of help with the the brands in the book um, and kind of connect to like media and as well as to like each market. So I'm on the West Coast here, based in San Francisco. Well, I'm sorry but, I made you get up a little bit early today. <laughs> yeah, it's early for me. Yeah. Eleven AM is, is crazy early for somebody in my business, but yeah, it's all good. Well, I, well, and I appreciate it because you know, like I said, it's January. We're gonna talk about everyone's trying to be healthier. I'm trying to be healthier. I'm cutting back a little bit right now on, on what I'm drinking. Uh, because when you do some of this stuff, you, you can have a little bit too much fun. So, you know, obviously when you're drinking, there's not a lot of health benefits to to that. Uh, but <laughs> when you're making cocktails, I feel like you can do a better job in picking ingredients to make those healthier um, or at least, you know, better for you than what they would be otherwise with pure sugar. Uh, so, so what are some of those options to uh, maybe make your cocktail more organic? More organic. I mean, I think, you know, certainly like regionality plays a bit of a role. I mean, I think here in California, it's really easy to get all organic and very fresh produce. Um, I mean, we've had a, bit of issues with the rain lately so that is creating some problems with the farms and things like that i know like one uh, um small 
like purveyor that we with, we get like edible flowers from, for example, has gotten totally saturated and is completely out of commission at the moment. But um, still, the rain I think is is good for drought-stricken California, and like a trip to the farmers market just goes like such a long way. I mean, I think where everything is pretty much grown within like striking distance from here. It's really easy to get herbs that were picked this morning and to use them tonight um, if you're in the business. And if you're at home, like, you know, there's there's like nearly a farmer's market almost every day here. And like it's the big one, of course, is the ferry building and that's twice a week. But then there's all sorts of other little ones like pepper throughout the city and throughout like the Bay Area that you can always like meet the actual people who are growing the produce that you have. Um that makes such a huge difference, I think, like when you, because you know, for, for better or worse, I mean, we're kind of like the United States, we're having a lot of, a lot of what we get produce wise is coming from these large industrial farms and the flavor, I feel like a lot of times is just not really there as much. If you get something that's grown like organically and like people have like a vested interest in the product, pro, the crops that they're growing. And they sell them to you like I don't know. I feel like you can almost taste it. Like they just like a raspberry is more raspberry e, you know. Like so, I mean, it just kind of takes everything to a whole new level. Like you don't need as much of something, perhaps, but just like in the flavor. I mean, if you have basil that was picked this morning and you make a basil gimlet with it, um, for example, like that's just gonna sing that much more than something that's like limp and was grown on an industrial farm like halfway across the country like who knows where you know but like you know buying local staying local to like wherever your locality is um you know i think is is huge i i understand there's some limitations with that like northern california i'm like yeah go get fresh produce because you know yeah grant is raining here but you can like grow anything almost at any time here like we always have like fresh stuff and I grew up in New York in the New York area and it's, you know, frankly, everything's dead right now. I was back there for Christmas. It was six degrees, you know? And so, but yeah, but I think like there's still hot houses there, you know, and there's hot houses where you are in Kentucky and there's small farmers where you are in Kentucky. And if you can get to know those people and, you know, that makes just such a huge, huge difference. Um, Yeah. I think that, I think that food is just, healthier for you and there's not as much you know hopefully like pesticides and weird genetic engineering going on in growing it and just frankly the stuff tastes better i mean well and like you said it's one where you can actually talk to the person that grew it get to know them and who knows maybe they have a, a little bit of something extra that they just didn't bring to the farmer's market this time that they 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 might be willing to bring bring the next time and and going a little step further than, you know, the organic to be healthier, fresher, obviously, you know, if you're wanting to cut back on, on, on the calories and probably something better for you, you don't want to go buy the pre-made sugary mixes on, on, on everything. So what are maybe some of those good ingredients that can be a little less calories, but still make a nice cocktail for you? I mean, if I'm trying to cut back on, on calories and I still want to have drinks, I mean, so does your friend, you know, like, and so highballs, I think, is like a big, big deal. Like whiskey highballs, for sure. I mean, you're in Kentucky. It's not as big of a thing there, but it works perfectly fine. I mean, you have like a decent bourbon and you just like kind of sprinkle out, like, you know, hit it up with some soda, like the heaviest charged soda possible you can. 
Um, and when you pour that the other way, like kind of try to always pour it, not the soda, not directly on the ice to kind of keep it alive. Don't really stir it vigorously. Maybe like a little twirl and, and that's about it. But yeah, like bourbon works well. I mean, here, Japanese highball is huge. So to use like, like, you know, from like the looks are uh, from the, uh, the hodling like portfolio. I mean, we have like Nika days, which is totally approachable, totally crushable. And maybe at this time of year, you're not trying to drink so much instead of going all or nothing, like, you know, keep that drink long, maybe using ounce in there and, you know, like just be a little bit more, I don't know, adult with your drinking in that sense. Yeah, I always feel like as I get like I was talking to like my younger brother once a while ago, and just like the whole idea, like you're getting really drunk, like twenty one, cool, and when you're like about twenty, like thirty, it's not as cool. But nobody wants to see like a sixty year old dude hammered, like you know, and like yeah, it just like so kind of just maybe cutting back a little bit and using like more robust spirit. So the idea, like you said, of using like a bourbon, you know, we have like Hirsch bourbon in in our portfolio, but any other like quality bourbon that won't break the bank, but has like a robust kind of flavor to it, like hitting that with soda and just making that last that much longer is I think huge. I, I mean, I always love like gin, highball, like gin and soda is like a big thing. Like gin and tonic's cool, but gin a lot of times you're using one that has a lot of flavor to it. That is really like kind of banging, has a good amount of bitterness to it. Like just a little bit of citrus, which again, we're in the winter, like, California citrus it's amazing it's great Florida citrus is amazing like Texas like all these places like you're gonna get fresh citrus from and that's the time of year just gin soda a little bit of lime or you know maybe you don't want lime like put grapefruit in it like something like that if that's what's available to you and, and it's perfect I'd say using like a bigger more robust gin for something like that is kind of you know the way to go so maybe something lighter and floral is not the time for it so using something like the junipero that we have made here pot distillate made in san francisco um and having that like just with soda is totally satisfying and again going back to what i was saying and using less when you're using something that has a lot of flavor and gin that is not subtle so it's like unabashedly not afraid of being gin like you don't need that much. Maybe you can be satisfied with the flavor you have with like, you know, less than an ounce in a tall soda glass. That's 12 ounces. And that'll last you for a while. You know, you're still social. You're still hanging out. You're still drinking. You're just, you know, not drinking Drink like a college kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? So uh, using higher quality stuff and drinking less is, you know, it's I think kind of more of the way to go, you know. So I not, like that. you know, polishing off like natty lights and you know, things like that, like we might have done when we were younger. But, what are you saying? Are we getting a little bit older these days? <laughs> <laughs> I certainly feel it, man. <laughs> I closed the bar last night, got home at four and just like, yeah, I used to be able to like wake up and be like so energetic. Now I'm like, I need my tea, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> keep me going. Well, but, I, I appreciate you keeping us going during our, our uh Hopefully, uh, keeping our, those New Year's resolutions going as well to be uh, be a little healthier. And, and Eric, thanks for for the knowledge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hops Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. 
You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at hopspirits.com. Joining us here for our conversation, they're two, they make up the brothers. That's the best way I can put it. The award-winning group, their new album is coming out on January 27th called Darkest Hours. And I think the best way I can introduce them is just the Gibson brothers. Because one wants it, Eric, one wants it, Lee, then Lee and Eric, Eric and Lee. So welcome in, guys. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Well, well, I appreciate you you joining me, and and we'll be talking about that that album here in a bit. But before I even get to to the music, I gotta ask you guys: drinking anything good, or if you're not, if you're you know behaving yourself, you know, because it is January, or or you just like to behave yourself. Uh, what what's your favorite drink? Um, I like I like uh, Two Hearted Ale. That's and I have it in my nice. John Prine Tree of Forgiveness high glass. Wow, where'd you get that? I ordered it from. Uh, <laughs> from, uh, cool. from his record label from his uh, website nice i'm drinking i bourbon, like it so anything good it's belfort and i never had it before i don't know if you've ever had it but it's uh i guess a goalie for the blackhawks that's what i was gonna belfort. say the goalie that's all i know <laughs> yeah it's really good it's a really good bourbon so Nice, nice. I, uh, I decided to go, since you guys are all about family, um, I decided to go with another little family outfit. They're out of Kentucky. It's called 15 Stars. Um, they, they make wow. popcorn originally, um, and they're using some of those heirloom uh, corn in their, their whiskey. Not in this one just yet, but as, as they are able to get that aged, you know, um, black corn, blue corn, red corn, all, all of that. And I'm excited to see what they can do. But this is 14-year-old stuff that's, that's pretty solid. Wow. So now I, I know you guys clearly enjoy a good drink. I'm also guessing you're some sports fans because I've seen on your Instagram Lambeau Field, Yankee Stadium. Um, so I'm guessing all the sports, just a couple sports. What, what, what do we got here? Well, we're both huge baseball fans, um, and I I love football also. I, Lee's not so much. He was into football when we were kids, but kind of got away from it but I'm, I'm mainly baseball and football i wound up yeah as a kid we played football and just backyard stuff or our backyard was between the house and the barn so we play <laughs> there and uh but as i got older in my teens i started hunting a lot and so weekends that i have free in the fall in, in particular i'll spend a lot of time in the outdoors in the woods so i, I kind of lost track of football are you still getting to get out and hunt and were you successful yeah i, I hunt i hunt all the time so uh have bird dogs so you know you wind up hunting a lot of things but you have dog guilt so you're out with your dogs a lot <laughs> perfect excuse right yeah yeah gotta take them out honey they need it <laughs> I, I take it you're a sports guy jonathan uh, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, you know, being in Kentucky now, of course, you know you've got basketball and 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 then some football and horse racing and and things like that. I grew up golfing. Um, that's kind of what put me me through school. I don't do it anymore because I've got got a family, and unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> life life uh, comes comes at you, and you you got to make some choices. But uh, but no, I, I pretty much I love sports. I grew up near Pittsburgh, so I love all the the sports teams there and. and I, I tell folks it balances out that I'm a Steelers and Penguins because the Pirates are so bad, they all kind of balance out. Now, how, I have to ask you this. How did all those teams basically get the same colors? Why is it yellow and black? 
for for everybody. Pirates, penguins, stealing. So, I love it. Pit, it, it, right? I, I love it too. Yeah, and the pins too. I know when the pins first started, they were kind of blue. And then someone got smart and they were like, wait, all the other teams are black and gold. Let's go that way. I, I have no clue how the other two started that, that route, but I do love it. And when you see another team that tries to be a professional team from there that isn't black and gold, it's just not right. It's just no, not right. It's a classic look. Lee, Lee yeah. uh, when, when we were eight years, I was eight and Lee was seven or nine. and eight, I can't remember. But when, when the Steelers played the Cowboys the second time, when Pittsburgh beat them 35-31 after the 78 season, we got all Dallas Cowboys and Pittsburgh Steelers stuff for Christmas. Like I had the Roger Staubach jersey. He had the Terry Bradshaw jersey. And, um, he, of course, his team won. You know, that was that was a heartbreak, heartbreak for me. But that was the era that I got into football, and it's never let go of me. I've loved it my whole life well and, and you you got us back in the 90s and and you know things balanced out a, li- a little bit and you, you had you, know, O'Donnell you mentioned by, growing up yeah o'donnell right yeah you said terry <laughs> yep not sure which team he was playing for that 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 game um <laughs> and, and you mentioned you grew up on the farm your backyard was from the house to the barn what was it like growing up in upstate new york on the farm cold yeah it was all we knew yeah it was cold but it was all we knew, you know, it was, uh, our family, you know, basically, uh, pioneered that land. That's what it was a homestead, uh, that they cleared in the 1860s and, uh, made a go of it there, you know? And so my father was a direct descendant, his father's father and his father before him were, were farmers. And, uh, you know, we would have been farmers too, probably if things had stayed, some, somewhat differently things have changed a little bit you know one way or another one of us might have been a farmer you know but it's it's a hard dairy farming and it's very hard mm-hmm. to, i don't think there was ever a chance it. that i was going to be a farmer <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have been a i farmer. regret i regret not soaking it up more than i did like all i could think about was i don't want to do this you know as we were doing chores i i resent so I did the work, but never with with a smile. It was I was wanting to get to my banjo or guitar or my baseball glove or anything. Yeah, that, that wasn't farm. That was that would have been if Dad was a woodcutter or Dad was a carpenter. You'd been this, had the same sort of dismissive attitude towards the work. You'd be like, ah, I'm too pretty no, for this. No, it's not that. It wasn't that. It, just, it was too hard. Yeah, it's a, it was really hard. Trust me, I did the work of two young He's, boys. He, he, this is bull. <laughs> this, this is our stage show now. He pretends I work. I did, but, but not yeah. with a smile on my face. Not very often. <laughs> yeah. I, I can feel the brotherly love. I can feel the brotherly love. And and so, does your family still have the farm, or 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 not? Or do you? And I'm guessing you miss it. Uh, clearly, yeah. talking about it. No, we we don't still. We still. Eric and I still own. Uh, a couple hundred acres of that farm. Um, it's we have a I have a hunting camp and we have a hunting camp. Eric doesn't really stay there much, but uh, it's about two miles from Quebec, you know, from the Canadian border. And uh, the farm has still got a, a herd on it, you know, but um, it's not it's not one of us. It's it's a cousin who's got cows there, but uh, he doesn't actually own the farm. It's it still changed hands a couple times after my dad retired. And then, you know, 
you, you talk about growing up on the farm, but how did you get into music? Because, you know, was that downtime? Was music around all the time? How, how did that work and you guys get into music? It was around all the time. Uh, my, my father loved it. My mother loved it. Um, it was held up as, a, as an important thing. You know, a good song came on the radio, crank it up. You know, whether it's in the truck or in the living room, dad had some records. If there was a, when Hee Haw was on, we were talking about the 70s, growing up in the 70s, that was on every Saturday night. Uh, Austin City Limits, uh, Tommy Hunter show out of Canada, which was a big country music show out of Canada, which was really good. Um, so we, it was, it was all over the place. Dad listened to bluegrass on the radio on Saturdays, dad and mom, you know, um, so it was always there. And we uh, started taking lessons when we were uh, 12 and 11 at a local music store called Dick's Country Store and, um, and got hooked on Flat and & Scruggs and, and that sort of stuff. And here we are. Well, and I, I was going to say, I mean, what, what was the music that kind of made an impact on, on y'all growing up or, or maybe even still to this day? Well, I, I Lee's talked about this before, you know, just thinking, why did we choose bluegrass? I mean, we're not exactly from a bluegrass hotbed, you know, but uh, our our teacher, Eric O'Hara, gave us uh, a recording of Flat and Scruggs at Carnegie Hall. And uh, of course, I was learning banjo. If you're playing banjo, you're probably going to, you know, and learning the Scruggs style, you're going to get into bluegrass. Two ways to go, right? There's two ways to go. What's that? Maybe three. There's like two or three ways to go with the banjo, and, and uh, we, you know, you could have become a pea picker, you know, playing like Dixieland jazz. Yeah, or, but he was teaching me out of the, the Earl Scruggs book. So, and he also got some good recordings in our hands, you know, like uh, Tony Rice, you know, uh, Ricky Skaggs, uh, Emmy Lou Harris, you know, uh, John Hartford, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band's uh, Circle album. And then we kind of took it from there. Dad, Dad had a Lester Flat and Mac Wiseman album at the house before that that we had listened to. Um, but then, and he was a he was a big fan of Emmylou Harris. Yeah. And so the the era that Skaggs was with her, we had those records, you know. So we were hearing those instruments. Blue Kentucky Girl, that was a big record at our house. It's a great album. Well, now now I got to ask: did, did when you guys were were playing later on and and Ricky Skaggs was there. Did he really pull you off to the side and want to want you guys to cut a, a country album and he was going to produce it? Yeah. I mean, well, we uh, we were playing the Ryman, uh, doing an award show at the Ryman in, um, I think it was 1998. And um, we come off stage and it was, and Skaggs one of our big heroes, you know, always was, you know, he was, he was all over country radio when we were coming up. And we got into his bluegrass, and we just—he was the guy. He was—he was our guy, you know. To have him come out of the shadows wearing a suit, you know, his hair just right, just taller than I thought he'd be, you know, and just stuck his hand out and told us how much he liked our singing. And it wasn't right then that he mentioned doing any kind of album. A few weeks later, we got a call on the farm. Lee and I were helping Dad put a put a, uh, a tire on the wagon, and Mom yelled from the house, "Ricky Skaggs, people are on the phone." And we all went running up up the hill to the house, up the slight grade. Like a bunch of hillbillies. Yeah, yep, like, like hillbillies. 
even dad. Dad was not a runner, but he was running. <laughs> I, I said to him after I said, Dad, I looked back and you were running. He said, I got caught up in your tailwind. <laughs> uh, but no, but then they, his people had called saying they were interested in signing us to a record deal. And then we, we, we were interested, of course. And we ended up, at first we thought we were going to make a bluegrass record with them. And as things progressed, we ended up making a country record that um, has never come out. Um, it got, it was supposed to come out on Atlantic and then at Atlantic Nashville, and then they, they folded and it's never seen the light of day, but I think it's, uh, it might be some of the best stuff we've ever done, but, um, nobody's ever heard it. And, uh, you know, that is a true, kind of a true story. You know, he didn't just he grab us for office and say, well, let's make a record. He, he just kind of shook hands and he said some nice things and then it progressed from there. And Lee, were you, were you going to add a little something there? I was just going to say, Ricky did a great job capturing a duet. He did an excellent, beautiful. I mean, we had to sing a lot to get it, but it was it was a beautiful duet. And you think about his own history with Keith Whitley. You know, he, he, before he was Ricky Skaggs, he was Ricky Skaggs part of a couple classic duets, the, the Whitley one, and then the one with Tony Rice, that, that Skaggs and Rice record. It's... You know, he's a guy who knows about duets, so he really got us. He's good. I, I was going to say, how did dead. I was going to say, how did the 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 you two end up playing together and deciding to make this a career? I don't think we really did. Do you, Eric? I mean, it, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't something that you came out of high school saying, "Here's what we're going to do," or uh, then out of college, "Here's what we're going to do." Eric was teaching high school; um, he was tenured which means, you know, he had a good track to, to have a career in it, you know. Um, but we kept getting asked to play places, so we'd go a little bit further every year. Uh, and then you start finding yourself on the West Coast, and Eric found himself on the West Coast during finals week, uh, playing gigs. <laughs> yeah, I, did, so like, I, I felt a little guilty about that. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember coming home and just saying to Karina, my wife, that, I got to try this full time. This isn't right. And I'm being pulled in so many different directions and, and don't feel like I can do a good job at any of it. And um, I got a year's leave of absence and I never went back. Yeah. And, and how is it playing together and traveling as, as brothers? It's been, it's, it's been just what you'd expect it to be. I'm easy. It's been a lot of, yeah, he's so easy to get along with. It's been a lot of fun. There's very little physical violence anymore. It's it's just, it's you know, we never really fought that much. You know, you hear about these, we never really made enough money to fight about anything. So, um, you know, you hear about these these brother duets that get into fisticuffs and stuff, you know. Uh, but we've, we've, we've been solid, I think, you know. it's It's been great. It's, uh, you know, that's the one, that was a strange thing of the whole, one of the strangest things of the pandemic is Eric and I went from, and this includes Michael Barber, who's been with us for 30 years. We'd see each other every weekend, you know, every, you know, at least every weekend. Sometimes we'd be out for weeks together and then you go to not seeing each other at all. It was, it was very strange. 
I was going to say, I was talking to the, the Flat River band, uh, uh, Denny Joe, and he was telling a story about the first, when he was younger. They don't do it anymore because, you know, they're a little older and they, they can't get physical. But he remembers slapping his brother uh, <laughs> because he was off off key. And, and then they had to go right back. They got in a little scuffle and then they had to go back out and perform right away because they were at like Pigeon Forge or somewhere. <laughs> Getting a fight at Dollywood. <laughs> wow. And, no, you know, you had that. to... We, oh, that's we almost got in a fight at the station in that night. We we were just we were, we were in a big fight. What's that? We got in a big fight one time in Texas at a PAC. Yeah, and and it was just like one of those moments that I, I wish I'd had enough money to fly home, but I didn't. I, so we, earlier, we, that, we, that was probably my fault because I remember I destroyed a cell. Oh yeah, it was. It was your fault. My own cell phone earlier in the day, throwing it up against the wall. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm thinking that might have been my fault. I apologize. You're, he was headhunting that day. He was really headhunting. So he was self-destructive. And, and uh, yeah, I remember that. That was Tyler, Texas. So so brotherly love, brotherly love all the yeah. way through. Just what everybody else experiences. <laughs> now, you, you know, family is important to you all. Obviously, you guys get along, along well. But I was reading, too, where... You guys could have gone on the path to kind of Nashville, do your thing, but family you kind of took the the route, and you always wanted to be near near family. Yeah, you know, I think it's because of the it, a big part of it's probably because of the farm, and and you just, I guess, generationally, you didn't really leave. You know, it was it was not. There were two things at play. There was there was that my my parents were up there. You know, my parents were in in New York, and also a lot of our work was in the Northeast and it didn't make at the time didn't make a lot of sense to spend a lot more money going to all of our gigs by flying from Nashville to get to them. You know, um, I mean, Eric, you had, you know, a situation where you, your wife's family's all from up there too. And it didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's times where I think, well, maybe we should have uprooted and gone down there. I love, I love every time we go down there. I love, I love Nashville. Um, but it just, I guess it wasn't in the cards for us. Every, all the, everybody down there says, well, you want, you want groceries. You got to come to the store. And but we've never, you know, we've never stayed for real long extended periods of time down there. We, we contemplated moving 20 years ago. I mean, I'm, I, we were down there making a record and, uh, Karina flew down and we looked at different areas, and, but it, uh, I guess it just wasn't in the cards for us. But, but I do love it. Well, it seems to have worked out. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know. We enjoy the high taxes in New York. It's uh, <laughs> do what yeah. we can. Well, there you go. There you go. You're, you're still giving back uh, in, in more ways, <laughs> ways than one. and. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, but like I said, you guys have had had some some pretty good success, though. You know, two time entertainer of the year, back to back from the International Bluegrass Music Association, things like that. What's it like to get those accolades and know that you still made probably a great decision? Those were heady times, you know, when we were winning those awards. It just didn't. It's something that you had in uh, in the back of my mind. I always hoped could happen, but I thought, well, that's that's, that's for other people. You know, and then when it happened, it was almost unbelievable to me. And I was just so proud of, you know, because we we built this from the ground up. We didn't come out of anybody else's band. 
We, you, you know, yeah. and so I'm, I'm proud of what we've done. You know, we, it's nothing to sneeze at. And, and the, the names you were nominated uh, against in those categories, it was like the first year we won it, we, we were, we'd won the year before, we we're up against Steve Martin. And talk about an entertainer, yeah. you know, Steve Martin and the Steve Canyon Rangers. And to think that, you know, pe more people picked us than him, it was, it was, uh, it was like, wow, you know. Then Steve Martin called Lee and pranked him that night. Yeah, he did. He did. I got to hear this story. How, how did that go? Great. Well, he told me that he calls up, he asks, is this, is this, he's, uh, I can't do Steve Martin's voice. He goes, is this Lee Gibson? And he knew it was because he was using Woody Platt's phone. And I said, yes. He goes, oh, hi, this is Steve Martin. Um, you just defeated us, like that kind of thing. I'm like, oh man, I, I'm a really big fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's cutting me off at every turn because he had a bit. And he said, we, we, we found that you might want to mention during your shows that you've won the Entertainer of the Year. I said, really? He's like, yes, you, you don't want to mention it one time. You don't want to mention it two times. You don't want to mention it three times. He finally gets to six. He goes, you want to mention it six times. That's effective. And I'm like, well, man, I, I want to tell you, I really love your work. Yeah, bye. I'm going to go kill myself. And he hangs up. And that was my interaction with Steve Martin. And, but then he puts up a picture on his Twitter feed. Congratulations to the Gibson Brothers. I'm so happy for you. And he's dead on the floor. I'm, I'm in the With a revolver. What? With a revolver next to yeah, his head I mean, or something. Or some, and, but yeah. we had more traffic. Like, we had more hits on the yeah. website than we ever. I mean, by him just doing that. But, yeah. My gosh. Yeah, he was funny. He's funny, oh, that, man. Oh, that, that is awesome. I was going to say, you, you, you go from moments like that, Entertainer of the Year. You, you, you're getting ready to put out another album. What's this journey been like? It's a circus, man. It's we, like, we joined the, it's circus. Like the circus. We did join the circus. 30, 40 years, 30 yeah. years ago. You don't want to admit it, but once you hit 50 and you look around, and you're like, yeah, it's been the circus. <laughs> it's been wonderful. And there's a smell of popcorn in the air, but it's like, it's actually like this can be weird too, you know? But I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. You know, I've really enjoyed you it. You sound it. Most people... <laughs> but a lot of us that stick it out and stay in it. We're not what you might refer to or, or people that work real normal jobs would consider normal, you know, that were creative types and, and uh, people that don't fit, you know, in, in the square peg and a round hole type stuff, you know? So that's us. Well, it, and like I mentioned earlier, you got a new album. You, you got some of those creative juices going again. It comes out just a couple of days from when when this episode drops on the on the twenty seventh of January, Darkest Hour. What can folks expect with that new album? Well, I think they can uh, expect uh, some original songwriting. We wrote everything on the record, um, sometimes together, sometimes with other people too. Um, I think they can expect some. Gibson Brothers songs, really, Erica? Wouldn't you describe it as that? It's the same. I mean, it's, it's pretty. It's produced by um, one of our heroes, Jerry Douglas. Produced it, and um, I can't believe I'm. 
I was texting Jerry Douglas the other day. I never, you know, 20 years ago, I never would think that, you know, that would happen. But I, I said to him, I said, what I love about this record, one of the things I love about it is that no two songs are the same. You know, it's 12 different songs, you know, 12 different. You can just replace the second song with the eighth song or, you know, it's they're, they're all different and they all have their own place on the record. And I think there's a lot of variety on the record and I'm very proud of it. He wanted to hear uh, everything we'd written in the last 20 years, you know? And um, so we sent him old stuff, we sent him brand new stuff and he just kind of chose the ones that he thought would fit together as an album. And this is the result. We started it in uh, 2020, March 2020, right? As it was hitting the fan, you know? And uh, we got about half the record done and we decided we'd better come home. And, uh, and then we went back 10 months later and did the second half of the record. So there it is. Well, I was going to say, I've gotten to listen listen to the album, and, and I, I really love it. You're right. There's a little bit of everything on there. Um, you come out with what, what a difference a day makes is is a, a great song to, to get you going. Uh, I love Shut Up and Dance. Um, I think my favorite one is one that um, you, you've also let fans hear already is uh, One Minute of You, sung for Annie Gray. Uh, what was that like, uh, Lee, writing that one? You know, it was it seemed really pretty easy, but it, it's, it's also... Uh... You're writing about a real person, you know, and it's it's uh, it's a little more daunting in, in a way, but because you want to say the right thing, you know, um, to that person. Because once once you write that song and it gets out there, it's uh, you know, it's all true. Every everything about that song is true. But I wanted to be really, really right and, and special because she is, you know, and uh, and all my kids are. But she's a lucky or unlucky one that got uh, chosen to be written about that day. You know, and, well, what, uh, but, what I, I love about it, Lee, uh, you're still talking, are you? And I'm interrupting you. Uh, no, I, I just love that, jumping up. that anybody could, could put themselves in that song. You know, you didn't make it so specific that it can only be about her, you know, mm -hmm. even though it is, it is about her people. You know, so many dads and moms are going to are going to get that song. You know, they already do. I already see it. We've been playing that one live quite a bit last couple of years, and, and it always goes over. I was going to say, when did you, how long ago did you write that song? In 2020, like probably in February or March of 2020, right before, uh, maybe a little bit afterward. I'm sorry. It might have been, been towards April. Uh, I'm not certain because I know the first session, that the first sessions we did, Jerry picked the first round of songs that he wanted to do, and and that wasn't written yet. And so this this was recorded the second go around that when we recorded with uh, Bill Morndick, uh before he, he passed away last year on, unexpectedly in uh, Nashville and and the acoustic world lost a great set of ears and a great heart there. Um, but we, we that Bill was that was the first time Jerry had. Heard it, I think, was right before those sessions, if I remember right. So I think it was early 2020, first first half of the year. Yeah, because to, to your point, Eric, that that song, that, I think the reason I, I love it so much is I've got a four year old daughter, and uh, and time is flying by, and and oh and, God, and you, work, buddy. Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yeah, as I, a parent, 
you feel like you want you'd be in every fight with them. You, you know, you want to be at every moment. You want to you want to you want to make their life so much easier. And, and I heard something really interesting. I was watching uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Alec Baldwin in that uh, comedians in cars getting coffee thing that that uh, and it was it's older, but they were talking about their childhood and how how they had it so easy. You know, they're the first generation that had a childhood because their parents didn't have childhoods. They were young, but they didn't have that kind of, you know, TV world, you know, commercial kind of thing. Um, and I think it's even exponentially grown with our kids and we make life so much easier on them that we present them with a whole new set of problems, you know, like this, you know, a phone or, you know, the internet and, and just more downtime and, and uh, free time. But it doesn't change the fact that we just want their lives. I guess my point is we want their lives to be easier than ours and simpler and, and have all the fun we had and more, you know. And so I guess it could res that that theme could resonate with a lot of people that everybody feels like they want their kids to have a great life and wish you could be there for all of it, you know. Uh, I think that one's going to going to be, be played a lot along with, like I said, a lot of them. I, I love even, you know, uh, you know, I go driving, shut up and dance. There's so many good song, songs on there. People are, are in for, for a heck of a treat when, when they get to listen to it. And when you guys are writing songs, whether it was, you know, 20 years ago, two years ago, nowadays, where, where's the inspiration come from? Is it an idea or is it something from, from your lives that you just comes to you that you end up, you know, putting down? It, it really depends. You know, I, I think there's certain times um, as, as songwriters where, you're more open to stimuli than you are um, other times. I, I feel like I've had stretches where I hear songs in so many conversations, you know, or, or I'll, I'll see somebody and, and say there's a song in that person. Or I'll meet someone and, and, and it'll inspire me to write a song. Where other stretches of my life, that would I wouldn't even thought about that, thought about it, you know. And you, I think it's good to work your brain, work that muscle. Um, and try to push yourself to write even when you don't feel like it. Um, sometimes you're going to write crap, <laughs> but you might write one line that day that right, it ends up in a better song down the road, you know? I don't know if I'm making anything. And, and you, you, you are, you are. And you, I think you, you both touched on this when you were talking about, about this past record too. You guys have been able to work with a lot of great folks, um, on it, what was it like working with you know, like you said, Jerry Douglas and, and so many, so many greats on this record? It was a treat, man. It was it was great. We you know there were some familiar faces that we've worked with a lot. Mike Barber played bass on on a lot of the record with us, and he's been with us for thirty years. Great musician. Um, but then you know you do you work with John Gardner for the first time, and I, great drummer. Never had worked with John before. Uh, heard his name, seen him around. You know, seen him at the Opry and, um, you know, just Guthrie Trap. I've seen Guthrie. I've, I've heard his name on the radio when I'm driving through Nashville about some clinic he's given to all the other guitar players. But to get him to sit in on a record, find out he's a cool dude and, and, and really enjoy spending time with him. Um, that's that's the nice thing about music, it's, particularly when you get to be our age. I don't think you'd be in the club anymore if you weren't easy to get along with. You know, a, a, a personable person that people enjoy spending time with. I don't think you'd be, a, you'd last, or in my experience, you wouldn't anyway. So uh, it's always a treat. And Jerry, Jerry likes to laugh. Jerry's, 
one of the best musicians that we've had in our lives, uh, any of us uh, in, in our generation, our era. And he's a lot of fun, man. He just likes to laugh and he likes to see you laugh. He, it's it's a great time. Eamon McLaughlin. And he doesn't waste time. Eamon McLaughlin. Yeah, Eamon. Just blew me away on the fiddle. I, yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody did so great. And um, it was a really good experience. We've been lucky. We've gotten to play well, with no. some amazing musicians through the years. That, yeah, it blows my mind sometimes when I when I think about it. And um, yeah, feel fortunate about that. Well, and and now you're going to be able to get to support this record, and you're going to go out on tour. I'm guessing you guys enjoy getting out and and, and playing in front of folks. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's we do. I really do. Um, it's uh, we've been doing it for a long time. If if we go too long without playing shows, if we go, if I if I go like a month without playing, I start getting nervous, thinking, "Can I still do this?" And <laughs> it's stupid because we've been doing it our whole lives, you know. But um, but then once you get out there, it feels pretty normal, pretty natural, and you know we keep getting to play with really good musicians who inspire us to play better and sing better and. You know, I hope that always happens. And Lee, I'm, I'm guessing you you enjoy the road too, even if you got to spend it with Eric. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you told me I do. I've always, you know, I... pardon. You told me that I have a short shelf life. <laughs> no, he, he, he's 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 uh. It, it, we get along fine. You know, we just, we don't really room together, which is the, the best thing. The last time, the last time we had a big blow up was the last time we roomed together. And every time we'll creep back into that arena of like, maybe we should just, ah, we'll, we'll bunk together. It doesn't work. So, um, but we get along fine. And, and I love the guys that, you know, we, the last few years, we had a couple different bands. We had a, an electric band that we, we tour with and travel with and, and a bluegrass band. And sometimes we play as a trio and, they all have their own, uh, there's, there's inspiration in every one of those groups. Like if it's just the three of us, even I'm still inspired. And, and you know, if it's an electric thing, it's, it's, I'm still inspired by that. It's, it's, uh, if you surround yourself with good people that are talented, you know, there's, it's on you to, 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 you know, do your job. Well, and then you guys are doing it pretty damn well. And I guess my last question is, is what's next for y'all or what are you hoping for the, the rest of the year and what can folks expect in 2023? I'm just hoping people love this record. And, um, yeah, yeah, we haven't had a record out in five years, you know, almost five years. So, um, I'm really hoping that folks like it as much as we do and that uh, yeah, it bears too. fruit. <laughs> That's I'm hoping people feel comfortable, comfortable getting out and seeing shows because there's something in the last couple of years, you're, you know, people are hesitant to, you know, to come out. And, and uh, I, I'd like to see us get back to where we were, you know, that meaning, you know, COVID's not something that's as, as much of a threat. And it, it, wouldn't that be nice that people would feel comfortable coming out and seeing a show without looking over their shoulder? 
Well, I, I think they're in for a treat with the album. Like I said, it comes out on the 27th, Darkest Hour. And if you can see see these guys, I recommend it too. Two-time Entertainer of the Year, many awards, and, and you know who knows, maybe you'll you'll see some brotherly love on stage yeah. too. And, and Eric, <laughs> Eric Lee, I appreciate you sharing a, a drink yeah, with me and, and talking about this new album. It's been great, John. Jonathan, thank you. Find more from Hops and Spirits at hopspirits.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye.